Hey everyone, welcome back to our study of Colossians. I'm Kevin McMillan of Mile 2 Church, and this is the fourth session. We're picking it up in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I hope you were able to catch the earlier three sessions that just gave an overview, and then uh, we've been going through section by section just to get some detail about what Paul is talking about here. And um, my desire more than anything is that you can know Jesus Christ better so that you can have a closer relationship with him and walk more closely with him and better reflect him uh, to those around you. That you can, you know, Paul is talking here about the gospel and the, the power of the gospel and the fruitfulness of the gospel. That as we look in this book of Ephesians, uh, excuse me, book of Colossians, that our lives can be more fruitful as the result of allowing this truth just to become part of us and who we are. So we're picking it up, excuse me, in uh, chapter 1, verse 24. We're going to be reading to 2, verse 10. I'm going to read it now from the New International Version. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So, what we read here is connected to what we've read uh, in the earlier part of chapter 1, where Paul talks about continuing in the faith, uh, the importance of being rooted and built up in him, and the importance of walking in Christ. Now, he starts to get a little bit more detailed. Now, at the beginning of this section... Verses 24 of chapter 1 to 29, to the end of the chapter, we could call this the ministry of the gospel, in particular, Paul's ministry. And he speaks about his ministry, 
And the intention of him speaking to the Colossians about it is not just to show how awesome he is and how hard he works. That's not the point. But he wants to strengthen his connection with them. And he wants them to understand how deeply he feels this and how much he, wa- he, 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 he works hard. He fights. He uses the word contends so that uh, he can bring these, the Colossian people whom he loves to a maturity in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a phrase here that can throw some people off. And that is in verse 24. He said, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Some people take this to mean, well, Jesus did a whole lot on the cross, but he didn't quite do everything. And so for you to receive salvation, you need to suffer more. You need to share in those sufferings. That is what will bring you to salvation. And Paul is saying, no. Let me read you from the ESV study Bible what it says about this. This does not imply that there is a deficiency in Christ's atoning death and suffering on the cross, which would uh, contradict the central message of this letter and all the rest of Scripture. What was lacking in Christ's afflictions was the future suffering of all who, like Paul, will experience great affliction for the sake of the gospel, as Paul described. For instance, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 8 to 10. So, there's this suffering that we all go through. And the suffering does not help us get saved. That's important. The suffering that Jesus did on the cross is all that is necessary for our salvation. All Paul is saying is, you're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer some more. And he said, I am filling up in my flesh what is still lacking. I haven't suffered the things that I need to suffer. Now, this might be a difficult thing for you to hear. No one likes to talk about suffering. But let's face it, we all suffer from time to time. Sometimes we suffer for dumb things that we've done, decisions that we've made. Sometimes we suffer at the hands of other people, certainly. And sometimes we suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul looks at that as a positive thing, a a noble thing. And uh, so it's important that we understand, yes, this suffering is uh, a necessary part of simply living on this earth, but also it's going to be a part of the gospel of living for Christ. Now, Paul says that he rejoices in his sufferings in part because it was for the sake of his body, for the church. And if you know much about Paul's life, he suffered brutally. He suffered terribly. Why? For the gospel, for the church, for the sake of the church, so that he could continue to spread the good news to everyone who needed to hear it. Verses 25 to 29 Paul talks about his ministry. He welcomes his role as a minister. Remember uh, from the very first verse of this book, Paul, an apostle of God, and he sees his apostleship. His ministry comes directly from the call of God. And his specific assignment was to tell the Gentiles of the mystery of the gospel. Now, a mystery is something that was once hidden, but is now revealed. And in what we read in uh, Colossians here is one of the beautiful central mysteries of the gospel that is revealed is that Christ is now in us. Remember earlier, I talked about the importance of our understanding that we are in Christ. But here's the other side of that. He is in us. And we, we are, we're just sort of unified with him in this amazing, remarkable spiritual way. And I believe this is a reflection of the Trinity, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We say they are three persons, but they are one in substance. And really, there's this understanding, periochosis it's called, I believe, that they they all are in one another. 
that they they exist not separately, but joined together. And Paul is saying, this is this is the nature of our spiritual unity with Christ. He is in us. What a fabulous mystery to, to be revealed that we can understand this. Now, Paul took this assignment, this ministry, very, very seriously because he knew it meant the eternal destiny of people. Are they going to be united with God? That, this is what he was striving for. And so in verse 28, he says, I admonish everyone. I teach everyone. And in the original Greek, this word everyone shows up three times in this verse. And in some translations, it shows it that way. In the NIV that we're reading now, they chose only to translate it twice, whether they thought it was a little too repetitive. I'm not sure. But it shows Paul's intensity. Everyone. I want this for everyone. And here we see the universality of the gospel. It's for everyone. It is for everyone. It's not just for a certain culture. It's not just for a certain group of people. It's not for a certain demographic or anything like that. It's for everyone. Jesus died on the cross for all. Now, Paul understood that he is not responsible for people's choices. He can't be responsible for whether someone accepts salvation or not, but he sure felt the responsibility to proclaim it. And not just proclaim the gospel, but to disciple those, to help those who have received it grow in him. And boy, that this was a burden on him. You can, you can see it in his language. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, he also uses the language, I'm presenting everyone fully mature in Christ. And so he sees this responsibility. He's presenting people to God. That's his role. So a, he, he saw that as a huge responsibility, but also welcomed the fact that God was able to work in him. He, he couldn't do it on his own strength. But this is why he worked so tirelessly, and he uses this word so powerfully, so mightily in me. Now, Paul feels a very strong connection to the, to the Colossians, as I mentioned earlier, and he speaks about this contending and referring to this desire, this inner desire and labor for the church. Why? So that they can know the truth. They can come to a full understanding of the truth. Now, if we turn to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, we could call this Paul's concern, because, of course, he's concerned with everyone's walk. He's concerned with everyone's eternal future and destiny. And it's interesting, verses 2 and 3 list what Paul was praying for both the Colossians and the Laodiceans. Um, he's, well, I won't read it. I'll just, he talks about their comforted hearts. He prays that their hearts are comforted. He prays that they are knit together. And he also prays that they attain to a full assurance of the knowledge of salvation. Yeah, full riches of complete understanding. This is what he wants, that their hearts are united in love and that they can be encouraged. So these three things. Now, Paul had just prayed. He had written, he had written out his prayer that he prayed for the Colossians. But remember in that prayer, he said, we never cease to pray for you. We're always asking God to dot, dot, dot. Well, here, this is what he's saying. We're praying for you and we're praying that you'll be comforted. <clears throat> we know in this difficult excuse me, this difficult world we live in, we all need comfort, and that can come from God. He prays that we are knit together as one, the church comes together in unity, and then he also prays that we can all attain this full understanding and assurance of our salvation in Christ. And then he assures them as well that these 
as well as all wisdom and knowledge are only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when someone knows the truth, they can't be deceived. When you know something absolutely that is absolutely true, you can't be deceived by someone who tries to come along and tell you something different. If you only kind of believe it, then you can be deceived. And if you only know part of the truth, then you can be deceived. But if you know the full truth, you can't be. And this is what Paul wants, that we as Christians know everything that we can possibly know about God so that we cannot be deceived. Because these um, false teachers that Paul is talking about here, using these fine-sounding arguments or plausible arguments, or enticing words, it is also translated as. And so these people are, you know, whether they believe what they're teaching or not, they're trying to get people away from just trusting in Christ, trying to get them over to their side. And so they use these beautiful words, probably some of them are very eloquent in their speech, and these enticing words, oh, that sounds interesting. And probably use some biblical vocabulary. Certainly the Jews would have, the, the Judaizers would have. Um, and also probably all of them included some element of truth, because if it's just false, you know, that's usually fairly obvious. But if there's some element of truth, but with a little bit of a, a twist to it, these enticing words can deceive us. And Paul says, I want you to know the truth. Please know the truth and please continue in the truth. Paul also encourages them uh, because there was some healthy discipline in their church. He said, I delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So that's so important to Paul that they're continuing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verses 6 and 7, we could say this is Paul encouraging them to grow and walk in Christ. We're told, we are told to continue to live your life in him, or some translations put it, to walk in him. That's what the literal Greek is. We are to walk in Christ. And that refers to our lifestyle, our, our lives. How do we walk out our life? How do we live our life? You know, our behavior is of great importance to God. Our behavior cannot bring any more righteousness to us. It cannot bring us closer to God in that way. That's all done through Jesus Christ. That's something, again, that's received by grace through faith. But our behavior is really important to God. That's one of the reasons he saved us. We are justified by grace and faith, you know, through faith, but that justification is to impact our lives so that our behavior does uh, reflect God's nature. It does show a godly aspect, and it, it helps point other people to the goodness and the greatness, to the love of God. And so, yes, our behavior is really, really important, so we are to walk in Christ. Our Christian walk is the result, again, of being rooted and built up. And he, he said it again. He said it earlier in chapter 1, and then he's saying it again here, being rooted and built up. I love the way the Living Bible puts this section in, in verses 6 and 7. It says, let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. See that you go on growing in the Lord, and, be, and become strong and vigorous in the truth that you were taught. They use some beautiful agrarian language here, metaphor, that our roots are to grow down and deep into him and draw up nourishment the way a plant draws nourishment up uh, from, from the ground and become strong and vigorous. And of course, this being a largely agrarian culture, they get that. 
But I think we, we, need, we, we may need to work a little bit harder. If you're not a gardener, you might not have this thinking in your brain. But this is what Paul talks about, rooted, and those roots draw the nourishment and strength from God. And this helps us to see the living nature of our relationship with God. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a way of thinking. And it's not just a set of rules. Well, if you do this and this and this and this, then you'll, everything's good. That's not it. We have this living connection with God in Christ. Remember, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And in him we are redeemed. In him we walk. In him we are rooted and built up. And this is it. It's not just a philosophy. It's life. This is a life and true life that Jesus gives us. And this is where Paul wants to live that life. Remember in Galatians, he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's my prayer. I, I trust it's yours as well. Now, the strength of my relationship with God, the strength of that life that I can draw from him is my responsibility. You know, I, I, I have to pursue it myself while others are going to be involved in it. And it's, we need one another to live a strong relation, to, to live strongly, uh, heartily in our relationship with God. Excuse me. <clears throat> the responsibility for developing it is mine. I, I have to do it. I have to pursue it. So this, this is what Paul is talking about. Excuse me, let's get a drink here. <coughs> okay. Excuse me. You know, I'm going to have to cut. Sorry. <coughs> wow. Okay. <coughs> okay. <coughs> How? Oh, shoot. <coughs> this would suck if I couldn't finish it. Oh, <clears throat> okay. Oh man, I don't. I don't know that I have my voice. <coughs> Did you, hello, hello, hello. Hmm. Okay. Let me just keep drinking here. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'll try. We'll see where we go. Okay, this leads us into the next section, which we can title Beware Philosophy, the last three verses, 8, 9, and 10 of the section. And the, the verb uh, tense that Paul uses here shows that we are to continually beware. It's not just a watch out once because <clears throat> it's, it's here now. It's we continually need to beware of philosophy. And Paul talks about philosophy. According to Wikipedia, philosophy is the study of general and fundamental problems concerning matters such as existence, knowledge, values, reason, mind, and language. In other words, everything about life. So philosophy is an enormous, an enormous topic. And philosophers have been around for eons. And philosophers have been around for millennia. Francis Schaeffer, who is a 20th century uh, theologian, but also a <clears throat> philosopher himself, points out that the history of philosophy is one person comes along and says, this is the way I think life works. 
And then a few years later, another person comes along and says, no, it doesn't work like that. It works like this. And then a few years later, someone else comes along and says, no, it doesn't work like that. It worked like this. It's a series of contradictory statements about what life is. And if you know anything about philosophy, if you studied it, what you know is it can end up being more concerned with the meaning of words than the meaning of life. Because we have to use language to talk about life, and sometimes language is a bit insufficient. And so we can end up just bantering about words and things like that. Paul says, you know, don't go there. That, that's, that's not important. While it's important to learn about life, you know, I'm not saying don't study philosophy. I'm, I'm just saying be careful how it, how it takes root in you. This is, this is what Paul is warning of, us of. He talks about the elemental spiritual forces. Now, these were what some people of the time considered foundational elements of life, but on a, a false spiritual base, probably coming from paganism. And if you know much about the paganism of the time, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, well, you know, it was largely fictitious to start with. And so there, there's certainly no good base to draw uh, understanding of real life from that. So the philosophy and human traditions that Paul talks about in this passage, they come ultimately from false spirituality of some kind, false teaching, rather than true spirituality in Christ. And, you know, this is a, 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 a dilemma, I say, I guess, that we all face today. What is true spirituality? What is false spirituality? How, do, how does that work? And <clears throat> this requires wisdom. This requires knowledge and requires understanding. This is why Paul is saying continue in this. And in him, in Christ, are all the, the, the uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And so Paul is encouraging us that the source of understanding life, if you want to call it philosophy, it's in Christ. The source of all of this truth is in Jesus because he is the source of truth. In fact, Jesus is the truth. You know, if you're looking for an, expl an explanation of life, if you're looking for an understanding of the meaning of life, then it's best to look to the Creator so that you can understand that. And as we've been reading and will continue to read that Christ is for first and foremost in all creation, all things were made through Him and for Him. So it's in Christ that we find meaning to life. And it's in Christ that you will find meaning for your life. Now, Paul's admonition here. He's saying, you know, beware of philosophy. <clears throat> I, I'm not saying, and I don't think he would be saying, uh, that don't study, you know, don't take any higher education. I don't think this should deter us from getting a full education. Absolutely. Just, you know, bringing knowledge and other understanding into our hearts. But we just, as Christians, always need to keep at the center of us the spiritual knowledge of who Christ is and who we are in Christ and the fact that he is in us. And as long as we keep that as the center and we, and we pursue it, and as Paul says, we continue in it and we grow in it, then we're not going to be pulled aside by enticing words or fine-sounding arguments or plausible arguments, you know, however people phrase things that might draw us off course. As long as we stay focused on Christ, you know, we're doing well. We will be good. In verses 9 and 10, uh, he talks about the fullness of deity in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Remember, I mentioned earlier, uh, he mentioned fullness. This is a significant theme in this letter because this fullness, again, 
uh, was a, a Gnostic teaching that you you could be saved, as it were, you could climb the spiritual ladder toward God by the fullness of the secret knowledge that the, the Gnostics taught. But here, Paul is saying, fullness comes from Christ. Fullness comes from God in Christ. And <clears throat> again, I'm going to refer to the book of Ephesians to help explain this word fullness, because Paul makes it really clear, probably the central uh, element of this fullness, in Ephesians 3, at the, toward the end of the chapter, he prays for the Ephesians, and he, he talks about them being filled uh, with the Spirit of God, uh, being strengthened with might by the Spirit. But then he talks about that you with all the saints may understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the, the height, depth, breadth, and the width, four dimensions of the love of God, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And he said that you may know the love of God that passes knowledge so here, he's taking another jab at the Gnostics. Your, your knowledge is not what it's all about. This love of Christ is what it's all about, because then he says, uh, and then you will be filled with all the fullness of God. When you know the love of God, and when you have experienced the love of God, and you continue in the love of God, that's when you're filled. That's where fullness comes from. Fullness just doesn't come from um, fullness of knowledge, you know, philosophical knowledge, our fullness is only comes in Christ through God and specifically through the love of God because God is love. So that ends this section. Uh, for our next session, we are going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 23. Again, I encourage you to download the notes. Uh, it helps you follow along, and it will also give you some reflection or discussion questions that hopefully bring some of this, uh, makes, makes it clearer and clearer to you. So thanks for joining me for this session. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Kevin McMillan for Mile to You.